It's time for Fed Talk, the live show for Feds in the Know. From federal agencies to Capitol Hill, the attorneys of Shaw, Bransford, and Roth bring in experts from across the federal community to bring you inside the issues. Fed Talk is meant to provide general information about legal issues. However, the views expressed in this program are not intended to provide legal counseling. Listeners are cautioned not to rely upon any statements made in resolving legal issues they may face, but instead to consult with their own attorney about specific situations. Attorneys are not engaged in providing legal services while appearing on the program and are not responsible in any manner for the consequences that may stem directly or indirectly from reliance on any statement made during this program. Good morning and welcome to Fed Talk. I'm Deborah Roth. I'm hosting today's show. Um, and today's show, the theme of the show, if you checked it out on our website, is um, our President's Day show. It's almost like we're running a President's Day sale, although you cannot get a mattress here at like 50% off, whatever it is, that, or a car, right? That's what they sell, mattresses and cars at 50% off. Um, but it is our President's Day show. President's Day, we know, is um, uh, next Monday, not this Monday. It is a federal holiday. And um, to celebrate that, um, we endeavored to bring you um, a few guests who have really delved into um, our 44 past presidents, um, one of whom I will call a historian. The other, um, she has asked me to <laughs> sort of clarify that down. But with us today, um, and, and really to really talk about many more than our founding fathers, um, there are so many interesting stories out there about the presidents, all of our presidents. Um, and so we're really delighted to have with us today as our guests um, with us in the studio is Lillian Cunningham. Good morning, Lillian. Hi, it's great to be here. Lillian is um, with The Washington Post. And last year in 2016, um, she took it upon herself uh, during the presidential general election she took it upon herself to um, produce um, the presidential podcast. Yes. And um, there are, she produced 44 podcasts, one for each president. Um, and they run about 35 to 40 minutes, 44 minutes. Um, and um, I think she had a great time doing it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can say now that I did. <laughs> In the moment, it was a little tough. Yeah, a lot of work. And um, for our listeners, Lillian, tell them, how would they, if they, um, after the show, wanted to go start listening um, in some sort of sequential way to the podcast, how would they go about doing that? Sure. So the, the podcast is called Presidential, and you can find it either on the Washington Post site at WashingtonPost.com slash presidential, or it's also on iTunes if you just look for Presidential. It's free. You can listen to all the episodes in whatever order you want on whatever time frame you want. Yeah, no, they're great. Um, they're great and they're fun. And it really does reflect an enormous amount of effort. Also joining us is um, Rick Beyer, who is a best-selling author and an award-winning documentary producer for the History Channel, for PBS, for National Geographic. And he is the author of The Greatest Presidential Stories Never Told. Good morning, Rick. Good morning, Deborah, And good morning, Lillian. How are you guys? We're doing good. It's a little, little, little chilly down here, um, but, you know, we're going to have 60 or 70 degrees tomorrow, so we'll get through the day here. Um, and most importantly, Rick, um, as I read your biography, you're a, histor you're a history enthusiast, um, which really is reflected in the work that I read, The Greatest Presidential Stories um, Never Told. Um, and we're delighted to be able to have you here today, go through some of the stories, but... Um, can you first, Rick, tell us how you got interested in, because when I look at the, the the types of work that you've both written about and, and produced documentaries, um, you know, it, it it's not about, you know, there are certain people out there who are just presidential historians. And, um, and, and your body of work is um, much more varied. Tell us how you got interested in presidential history. Yeah, my, my my body of work is difficult to describe sometimes, I think. Um, I got interested in history as a child. Um, my father was a physicist, which that might be a disconnect, uh, a physicist at Brown University, Robert Beyer. And, uh, but he was also a Renaissance man, so he loved languages, and he loved music, and he loved poetry, and he loved history. And so we had a house full of history books. I grew up with all these wonderful 
history books all around, and I became very, very fascinated by it. And I also learned from my dad um, to become very intrigued by these crazy little stories that you find in the cracks and crevices of history that aren't, they're not about, like, who won the Battle of Antietam in Mm -hmm. the Civil War, but they're about the guy who discovered the lost orders wrapped in three cigars that changed that battle. <laughs> and so so my interest in history uh, goes back a long ways, and my interest in that kind of uh, curious history uh, uh, goes back a long ways, too. And, you know, Deborah, I had a, a friend, uh, actually somebody who worked for me a few years ago, and he said, uh, we were having a discussion, and he said to me, he said, well, I'm not really into history. And uh, if you know me, those are fighting words. And I said, I said, Gee, did you Ray, want a duel? Yeah, pretty much, <laughs> pretty much. Aaron Burr, take out your gun. Right. I said, gee, Ray, given that history is everything that ever happened to everybody, right. every soul who walked the planet, what part of that aren't you into? So I'm very into history. And um, and today, Rick, we're going to talk mostly about uh, one of your books, right? It's the um, greatest presidential stories never told, but it's part of a series. Yes, the Greatest Stories series, uh, five books. Each book has a, has a hundred stories to astonish, bewilder, and stupefy, or at least we hope so. And um, and I, we bought it. We bought it online on Amazon to get ready for the show. And I was telling Rick before we went on the show today that um, – you know, I, I I actually read most of the book, and because um, it's a hundred different stories, and they're short, and they're um, and you've got these great photographs and pictures of historical documents, um, and um, it's 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 an easy, enjoyable, charming kind of read. Well, thank you so much. I, I think that you should uh, say that on the radio. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Um, so, um, so it's our President's Day show, and um, I, one of the things I also did in um, getting ready for the show is I got a little history of President's Day. And so I actually, in my brain, although I say President's Day, I still think Washington's birthday, um, because as a kid growing up, Apparently, I'm just remembering a historical fact, which is that um, that we began celebrating George Washington's birthday um, in, I think, um, in 1885. And his birthday was February 22nd. And then in the late 60s, there was a movement to take all these federal holidays which were on the exact day, like the exact day of his birthday, and move him to a Monday so that the American public could get more three-day weekends. And it, it was thought to help with absenteeism at work. And so um, they combined it with Lincoln's birthday. And, um, and President Nixon signed the executive order. So we celebrate Washington's birthday and Lincoln's birthday um, next Monday. But when the bill got discussed, it got discussed as making it for all presidents, and it never happened. It's really technically a celebration of Washington's birthday. Um, so, Rick, I thought we'd start with Washington, right? Fantastic. Because isn't he our first president um, and the father of our nation? Yes, he's certainly the father of our nation. And um, no, he's not the first president. I think he's about our seventh president. Because it turns out Washington's our first president under the U.S. Constitution. But our country existed for eight years, people forget this, Mm -hmm. before the Constitution under the Articles of Confederation. And after the Articles of Confederation were approved by all the states, ratified by all the states, shortly after that, Congress elected as president a man named John Hansen, who I would argue is the first First president president of the United States. Now, I can just hear... We're going to have to rename the holiday. Uh, truly, truly. Um, and I, I can just hear historians all over your listening area uh, reaching for their, their phones or their computers to, to complain. So let's, let's stipulate it, it wasn't the same office as the office that George Washington held. Right. Uh, he was actually president of the United States in Congress assembled. That was his full title. But he was president, and he, he was given a house by Congress. He met with foreign dignitaries. He was the only head of government we had. And even... Washington referred to him uh, as having the most important post in the land. So there were six presidents, therefore, before George Washington, number seven, but, you know, a really strong number seven. Yeah, and um, and he was considered, 
because of the position he held, he was considered Hansen the highest government official of the United States government. Right. Um, and, and, and what this is really interesting, it reveals, is the degree to which once we adopted the Constitution and made our country a much you know, stronger, more centralized government over our country, we historically forgot that period beforehand. Mm-hmm. It pretty much completely went out of memory very quickly. And so nobody even thinks about it anymore. Yeah, no, it's, it's, a, it's a great story. It's, how, it's one of the first stories how you start your book. Um, and Rick, before we take our first commercial break, um, one of the other stories I really enjoyed about Washington was um, related to his inauguration. And we just had a presidential inauguration and no government official at that level gets sworn in. Right. Without putting their hand on the Bible, um, which is something that Washington did. Right. Yeah, except that what happened is, and this is in New York, because that's where the first inauguration was, they had everything ready, the crowd is assembled, Washington's coming in his carriage, they realized that they forgot the Bible. Nobody's got one. And they searched the building, and there's no Bible in the building. So somebody says, oh, wait a minute, the Freemasons down the street, they've got a Bible there, and they go running out, and they grab this Freemason Bible, and they bring it in. And George Washington was a Freemason. Yes, George Washington was a Freemason, as was New York Chancellor Robert Livingston, who wanted to get grab the Bible. So they bring it, and Washington swears his oath on that Bible, and then adds, impromptu, at the end of the constitutionally prescribed oath, adds, so help me God, yeah. which every president ever since has done. Yeah. Uh, and that Bible is now known as the Washington Bible, and it's very carefully uh, cared for, and several other presidents, including Jimmy Carter and uh, and the first George Bush uh, used that Bible at their inaugurations. Charming little detail, when they travel with this Bible now, three Freemasons from that lodge in New York have to travel with it every time, and the Bible gets its own, I'm not sure if it's a first-class seat or a business-class <laughs> seat, but it gets its own seat, so they take very good care of it. Yeah, and that, that little tidbit, I know we have to take a, a commercial break, Rick, but that little tidbit about how, because the oath of office for the president is in the Constitution, but that little tidbit, how at the end, when he, he said, so help me God, that little tidbit that you point out that every other president since then has, you know, that they followed that lead. Something we're going to talk about with Lillian. Washington really, um, as our, you know, well, as the first president under the Constitution, he did a lot of things that then became how um, every almost every other president sort of followed path and followed suit. Um, and for me, you know, I didn't certainly learn this. I've, I've shared this with you. I didn't learn it in school. This is something I learned reading up as an adult on the Founding Fathers, um, you know, he was like a cartoon to all of us in school. But he was an incredible um, human being. And and when we say father of the country, he really set the foundational ways and mannerisms and principles that every sort of almost every other president after him um, abided by. He absolutely did. And uh, as uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda said, you know, of that early government, every, every decision sets a precedent. And, uh, and George Washington set a lot of great ones for us uh, in those early years. Yeah. We're going to come back. Um, we're going to come back to Washington and some Lincoln stories from, um, from Rick. Um, but we're going to take our first commercial break. And when we come back, we're going to catch up with Lillian about the presidential podcast You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com. Welcome back to Fed Talk. I'm Deborah Roth. I'm hosting um, our show today. It's our President's Day edition of Fed Talk. We have two guests joining us. Um, we were just listening to Rick Beyer, who is a um, 
a best-selling author. He's also an award-winning documentary producer, um, and he is the author of The Greatest Presidential Stories Never Told. With us also in the studio is Lillian Cunningham of The Washington Post, and she is the creator and host of Presidential, the presidential podcast series that we talked about at the very beginning. Um, so, Lillian, just sort of the way I started with Rick, like what got him interested, um, you are the editor of the Washington Post on leadership section. So I see some connection. Um, what gets you interested in taking on a project like I'm going to go do a podcast on every president of the United States. <laughs> One a week right. for a whole year. Yeah. Um, well, so, you know, I was listening to Rick right before the commercial break talk about how he grew up in a home that was full of history books and had a father who loved presidential history. And I was sitting here thinking, I feel like I had the opposite story. Um, I, I just I didn't grow up with that fascination. I didn't really grow up in a family that you know, read biographies on the weekend. So it, in a way, for me, the the presidential podcast came out of a gap in my knowledge. So, you know, you mentioned I'm the editor of the leadership section at The Post. So I've always had this interest in, you know, what makes someone an effective leader, um, going into a presidential election year, I it was on my mind a lot, you know, what sort of traits have have worked in this role. Um, but I really didn't know a lot about the presidents beyond Abraham Lincoln, Theodore Roosevelt, you know, the the sort of the ones icons. who made it out to Mount, Mount Rushmore. Yeah, the right? ones on Mount Rushmore, <laughs> the ones who you you cover in a history class in high school. So for me, uh, you know, the the idea started as really a personal project to to brush up on presidential history as a way of being able to do my job as a leadership editor better in an election year. And I actually went searching, thinking like, I wonder if there's a podcast out there and I could just listen to an episode about each president and brush up quickly that way. And I realized there wasn't. Um, and that's kind of what planted the seed in my head that, you know, maybe I should just go on this journey myself and it probably would be useful for a lot of other people who also feel like, you know, they've just haven't really understood uh, the history of the presidency and the leaders of our country beyond the big names. Mm -hmm. And, um, and as you mentioned, you did all 44. I did. Yeah. And, and <laughs> now did... I'm thinking, should I have done 50? Did I miss six at the beginning? <laughs> right. right. And um, yeah, thanks, Rick. And um, and you produced one a week. I did, yes. Um, so on the modern presidents, clearly there is a plethora of information out there on the Internet that you could, you know, sort of find and figure out. How did you go about gathering that kind of information and condensing it and then getting it produced mm -hmm. in a week? Uh, I, I kind of still don't know how I did it. It's sort of a blur. Um, I would say, you know, the first thing that was really helpful to me was that I landed on a few incredible experts at the Library of Congress who were just a fantastic resource for me. Um, you know, up until sort of early 20th century presidents, the Library of Congress is the repository of just about all of our presidential documents and manuscripts. So there are some great historians there who, you know, have read every single word um, of of all these presidents. So they, they were kind of my first stop for a lot of the, you know, the first half, I would say, of the podcast. I would go to, you know, there's a woman, Julie Miller, another woman, Michelle Kroll, who I, every week I would, you know, talk to them at the beginning of the week and say, like, where do I start with this president yeah. um, who's my challenge for the week? And uh, and then from there, you know, on some presidents, obviously, we've uh, we've had a ton of great biographies written. Then there are others like Chester Arthur. I mean, for one, he burned all his documents, so we have very, very little, you know, to to work with. Um, and as a result, I mean, it, no one has really written a biography of Chester Arthur. So for a couple He's of these, I had to get really creative. Right? He is. Um, yeah, there are studies done that where they test Americans' knowledge of presidents, and Chester Arthur is at the very bottom. Um, 
So so yeah, it was a, it was a challenge for burning his dot for burning his. It has an le- effect. Yeah, but um, so for some the challenge, as you as you said, you know, some the challenge was how do you take all the information yeah. that's out there and try to boil it down to something, you know, half an hour on Lincoln. Um, and then for others, it was, you know, what do you possibly say for half an hour on Franklin Pierce? But it turns out for every single president, you have, you know, fascinating stories. And there was always there is always something interesting to say. And I think Rick agrees with that because Rick, plows, when he as he plows through each one of his presidents, there is a tidbit of something um, about each one of them that he, too, found interesting. Yeah. Chester Arthur was tough, though. I, I <laughs> I agree with that. <laughs> so, Lily, let's get back to you on President Washington. Um, what is it that you think are you know, the, the 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 important things that you learned that made it into the podcast that are that more inform listeners about who he was as a president mm-hmm. than what we learned? Because most of us, that's where we get it. We just get it in our you know um, history class in high school. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think you know. We started to talk about it, but I was fascinated by the mythology around Washington. And I I have this colleague at The Post, Joel Achenbach, who actually wrote a book on George Washington. And and he had this great line where he said, um, you know, he always thinks of Washington as an unknown famous person. Like he's someone who we all know his name. He's kind of, he's famous in our culture. And yet most people don't actually really know much about him. Um, So uh, part of, you know, my initial quest in the George Washington episode was just to kind of break down um, the myth around him and, and get a better sense of who he was as a human being. And, you know, part of, part of what I stumbled upon that was, interesting to me was how much he actually was a like a real life action figure i mean he was uh, you know obviously is there a reason why he rose to the top was the general of our army um you know you know his 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 adversaries wanted to serve underneath him um there was qualities about him as a human being that really that we were very fortunate about that he had at the time yeah, there were. And a, and a kind of interesting combination of traits, because on the one hand, you know, you you realize in studying more about him that he was fearless. I mean, really fearless. And he was kind of um this like James Bond-esque figure who would get into all these skirmishes and somehow he always emerged unscathed. And um, but then uh, on the flip side, you know, there's so much description about how modest he was. Um, you know, p- part of what I found so interesting was the extent to which he he was pressed to be president. Um, you know, he w- he in his diaries and in his letters to people at the time would say over and over, like, I'm not competent enough to be president. I'm not worthy of this role. And everyone else disagreed with him. Everyone thought he was he was the best man for the job. But he definitely had a, a humility and a modesty, which um a self-awareness um and also i mean that was a trait that was valued at the time today you know we expect our politicians to pump themselves up and be kind of their main salesman but um in washington's day it, it was really valued to acknowledge that you know you didn't necessarily have every answer and you you wondered if there was someone who could do the job better than you could and um, remember that point I made, Lillian, right before uh, we took the commercial break about um, when I was talking with Rick about, you know, sort of the, the some of the stories of surrounding um, him becoming president, um, the hand on the Bible and finishing it with something that has been repeated right. for hundreds of years by every president um, that he had that 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 he did things that became a precedent. Right. For the. um um for the rest of the people who followed him, the men who followed him. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is that it 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 didn't just sort of happen by coincidence. He was very he was very very conscious of every little thing he did. I mean, he wrote letters to John Adams, to Hamilton, constantly asking, "Do you think if I do this, it sets the right precedent? Do you think that I appear too kingly if I act this way? How should I meet with foreign dignitaries? Am I allowed to go see my friends for tea when I'm president, or is that not appropriate?" And 
So he was he was very aware of the fact that every little thing he did would end up establishing, you know, our sense of what a president you know, should look like in this country. And he took that he took that seriously. And I think that we're we're probably better off for, <laughs> um, you know, ha- how much time he spent thinking about those details. Yeah. And the foresight at the time to um, to to think that, you know, hundreds of years later, what he did in the, in that first job would matter. You know, you have to wonder today um, how many people have that kind of foresight, wisdom, self-awareness. But he took the job very seriously because of that. And I remember reading that just, you know, from other books I'd read about him. Um, and it's it's for me, it's just too bad that some of that doesn't come out in high school history um, and what you, you know, what you learn is, you know, the battle of this, the battle of that, the, you know, constitutional convention, he was our first president. And, you know, um, I, I think, I do think that Americans would benefit greatly from learning more about who he really was because who we are today was really shaped by how he viewed that, that office. When, uh, I, I was just going to say, you know, one of my favorite stories that I came across um, in working on his episode was, that he, he would go on these tours around the country as president and he would ride in a wagon um, from town to town. But right before he would get to the town, he would get out of a wagon and he would get onto a white horse and he would ride a white horse through the town. And then when he got to the other side of the town, the wagon would come around, he'd get back in the wagon. And he, you know, he did that because he knew that the people of the country sort of wanted to see their president on a white horse, that that image, that there, he didn't want to be kingly, but he did want sort of An the trappings of leadership that communicated that to the people. So I always found that was like a, a funny story about just how aware he was. Yeah, that's our that's today's motorcade. <laughs> um, so listen, we're going to take our mid-show break. And um, we were speaking with Lillian Cunningham of the Washington Post, who is um, the creator of presidential 44 podcasts that she created last year in 2016 that are still online. You can listen to when we come back. We're going to catch up again with Rick Beyer um, and learn more stories about Washington, move on to Lincoln. I also want Rick to tell the story about how some of our presidents really are descendants from the Mayflower, which I think is very cool. You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com. If you're a federal law enforcement officer, then you know to do your job, you tap inside sources. To have a voice on policy and legislation, you join FLIOA. And when you want federal law enforcement officer news and up-to-date federal court decisions, you read FedAgent.com. If you aren't reading FedAgent.com, subscribe today. It's free. Don't let this source pass you by. I'm John Adler, president of the Federal Law Enforcement Officers Association, and I approve this message. Welcome back to Fed Talk. I'm Deborah Roth. I'm hosting today's show. It's our President's Day edition. Um, and if you're just tuning in, the two guests that we have with us today um, have both delved into um, all of our 44 presidents. We have Rick Beyer, who's um, the author of The Greatest Presidential Stories Never Told. We had just been talking with Lillian Cunningham of The Washington Post. She's the creator and producer of Presidential 44 Podcasts. Um, that she created one on each president last year during the presidential general election. Um, and Rick, you're still with us. Yes, of course. And um, um, I wanted to finish up um, talking about some other very, I think, fun stories about um, Washington. Um, one of which um, I don't, I don't want to say fun. They're interesting. Was his the title, the 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 debate, the angst that went through. Um, because it 
the tight, you know, in, in, the job is president of the United States, but there was angst about what to actually call him. Yes, and, and first of all, it's fine to use the word fun. I think history should be fun. That's that's part of my mission in life is to make it fun for people. And as Lillian was saying, you know, everything that, that Washington did and that the new government did set a precedent, and they all thought pretty carefully about it, which is why the Senate ended up spending several weeks debating what to call the President of the United States. And this was initiated by John Adams, who as Vice President was uh, was uh, the President of the Senate, and he thought that just calling Washington President was, was pretty lame. He said, fire brigades and cricket clubs have presidents, so the United States de- deserves something more. So, um, and different people had different ideas. One uh, senator wanted to call the president his excellency. <laughs> uh, George Washington himself weighed in with a title, yeah. his high mightiness. <laughs> which I think sounds like a um, a superhero now, you know, his high mightiness. Yeah. And um, and then they appointed a subcommittee, a Senate subcommittee, to consider this, isn't it? This is obviously one of the pressing issues of the time. I was about to say, they re- their plate was cer- certainly not full, apparently, <laughs> at the birth of our country. I, I guess, well, they didn't have any departments yet, so they didn't have too much to worry about. And they came back with the title, and I, you, you have to love this, His Highness the President of the United States of America and Protector of the Rights of Same. Yeah, which yeah. they need an acronym Rolls for. Off the tongue. Right. <laughs> So meantime, this is the Senate. Meantime, the House is going, uh-uh, don't care. We, uh, we're, the, we're the body representing the, the people, not you highfalutin senators appointed by the states. And so the House said, let it be known that they were not going to be passing any of this legislation and that president would do fine. And, of course, that's the precedent to say president that we still do today. Yeah. And, um, and what they were left with was Mr. President, which is where we are today, Mr. President. Um, but I think it's it's a really very interesting to see all the angst that went into the title, which I'm just going to attribute to cultural separation from the monarch. Right. Um, all they knew were monarchs. And um, um, and so, you know, I think that explains the amount of energy and angst that they had over what his title was. Um, well, I think you're, you're exactly right. And it's interesting to note, uh, for example, that the United States did not have ambassadors until the 1890s. We had representatives. We called them ministers. We did not want to call them ambassadors because that seemed like too much of a royal kind of monarchy court kind of thing. So people were very concerned about that. Um, So, Rick, as I mentioned, the the holiday is really um, Washington and Lincoln's birthday. And so I sort of feel like we have to cover Lincoln, um, you know, as well. There are other presidents I know in your repertoire that, that that you want to share with us, and we, we will try to get back to you on that. But there there's some very interesting tidbits about Lincoln that um, get lost in the noise of the, you know, the enormous job that he performed for us when he was president of the United States. Yes, there well, you could write an entire book of stories called The Greatest Lincoln Stories Never Told and put it right next to the book, which would be all the greatest Lincoln stories that are often told right. and are still great stories. <laughs> That's right. So you know, one of my favorites is uh, something that happened before he became president, because it seems so odd to think of this, but Abraham Lincoln almost got involved in a duel. Uh, in fact, um, I, I just wrote a book that comes out in a week about Alexander Hamilton and Aaron Burr called Rivals Unto Death. So this story is very top of mind. Abraham Lincoln got into an argument with the state auditor of Illinois. This is, you know, have 15 years or so before he's president, uh, and he ends up uh, writing some articles that uh, that call this fellow James Shields uh, a liar and a conceited dunce and other things, a fool. And so Shields challenges Lincoln to a duel. Now Lincoln said, he said, I don't want to kill the fellow, and I don't want him to kill me. So Lincoln chose as a weapon for this duel broadswords. They're going to fight with broadswords. Now, Abraham Lincoln is what, like about nine feet tall? And James Shields <laughs> was is not. very... Okay, maybe, maybe, maybe not quite. Right. And James Shields is very short. He's about five feet tall. So, so obviously, Abraham Lincoln is going to have this huge um, uh, advantage with broadswords, and he's picking this weapon to try to convince Shields that he should negotiate. And they actually make it to the dueling site. Yeah, this is really interesting. Put this picture in your mind. I know, Abraham, Abraham Lincoln, Lincoln in a duel. 
in his shirt sleeves, waving his broadsword around, practicing. And Shields gets the message, and he um, and he uh, reluctantly, uh, you know, sort of withdraws the 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 uh, the, the dual challenge. And interestingly enough, uh, twenty years later, he becomes one of Lincoln's generals in the Union Army during the Civil War. You know, the the great thing about duels, which which have obviously a very terrible side, because people would get killed. Right. But oftentimes people didn't get killed, and they were a great way for the participants to kind of puncture the the tension that were in grudges. So instead of letting grudges fester, they would kind of get it out with this with this uh, um, you know uh, sort of uh, it's not exactly a charade, but they'd kind of go through all the motions and then say, oh well, I'm satisfied, my honor is satisfied, without ever shooting. Uh, and so we sort of uh, do that today, but we don't use weapons. Well, we do it by shouting on Facebook, I think, today. Yeah, and, and, um, and, and I think the debates, frankly, um, you know, at least the last, the, the, the 2016, um, you know, primary debates felt like a lot of, du- like jousting, verbal jousting. Right, but the, 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 the thing that, did, that dueling did, and I'm not defending dueling or suggesting that we go back <laughs> to it uh, at all, but the thing that dueling did is it, it kept people honest. You, you might be hesitant to say certain things for mm. fear that you were going to be called out, and then that honor would demand that you respond to the challenge, because honor was very, very important to these folks. And uh, suddenly you have to put your life on the line, so you would tend to edit your remarks a little bit more, or write all these anonymous articles that Hamilton and, and others uh, would write back in the uh, in the 1700s. Mm-hmm. So they couldn't be traced to you. Yeah, well, um, you know, it's, it's it, we've lost, I think, the American mind and imagination, the historical mind has lost um, what, you know, what dueling was back then. Um, the Hamilton Broadway show is a very interesting way of sort of reminding Americans about that, that moment in history. Um, but I didn't, you know, I certainly didn't know that Lincoln himself um, was challenged to a duel and shows up. And it's just like the antithesis of what you think of, of what who he was as our president, um, um, trying, you know, trying to bring the, you know, trying to bring people together. You don't really think about taking up arms, although I guess that's what the Civil War was. Um, and I think I think that, um, Rick, another one of a, a really sort of um, twist on Lincoln is the story about the, you know, the greatest speech that failed. Yes, yeah, so Lincoln has this great reputation as an orator, uh, but there was one particular speech that he gave that uh, that really didn't, that apparently didn't quite pull it off. Actually, when he finished the speech, he turned to his aide and said, wow, that was a real failure because the crowd didn't respond. And then the newspaper reviews came in and they basically said the same thing. The Chicago Times reported that the cheek of every American must tingle with shame as he reads the silly, flat, dishwatery utterances of the president. And another newspaper called his remarks silly, and the London Times told its readers anything more dull and commonplace, it would not be easy to produce. So what, what do you think this terrible speech, well, of course you know the answer, what, what is the terrible speech that Lincoln gave? It's the Gettysburg Address, right. which we now consider to be one of the most uh, remarkable speeches, pieces of writing ever done mm-hmm. in the English language, probably the best-known speech by uh, an American president. And, you know, some of that response was obviously uh, powered by partisanship, but it really gives you a, a sense of how difficult it is in the moment yeah. for us to judge the words or actions of a president. Uh, it's much easier for historians, uh, people looking back, to be able to sort of see how things work and put it together in the moment we can we can say wow he's that lincoln he's an idiot uh and, and <laughs> not realizing that you know oh wait a minute he's going to be carved in stone on mount rushmore and considered one of the great presidents once you step back and look at him and what i think is interesting about that that story of him is that he personally felt that the speech had failed he did. He said, he said, that speech won't scour, is what he said. And, and, and it was partly because uh, the crowd, I think, was a little stunned by it, stunned by its brevity. Uh, but also, perhaps, uh, also some of the crowd couldn't hear it because it was a huge crowd and they were further away and he's not amplified. And I think also some people stunned by the, uh, 
by the import of his yeah. remarks. Yeah. It just wasn't the sort of thing that made you want to stand up and cheer, though. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and Rick, you did mention, before we take our commercial break, you mentioned you have a book coming out um, the, the 21st. Yes, I have a new book coming out called Rivals Unto Death. Which uh, which tells the story the the, the little known story joke that's a joke <laughs> yes, yes, I know. of uh, of Aaron Burr and uh, and Alexander Hamilton and their thirty year rivalry and really looking at all the points of intersection between them over the years and and I think hopefully um, kind of you know taking all these people down from the the positions of being marble statues whether it's uh, Hamilton and Burr or Washington or Jefferson or Adams. Monroe, Madison, and kind of portraying how vivid they were and how uh, flesh and blood they were and the arguments and the jealousies and all this stuff that made up the first uh, decade or two of our uh, republic as it was getting formed. Yeah, no, it, it, those stories are absolutely fascinating, sort of the, the personalities, the humanities that were at play, um, which you can only, I mean, I think if we'd thought about that more when I was in, you know, in my high school history class, I would have appreciated you know, to have a birth of a country, um, you know, it, it's going to bring out the best and worst in people. And Rivals Unto Death, uh, um, I imagine, is stories about where the worst came out. Well, and you know, a lot, yes, yes I'm always focusing on the bad, right? <laughs> uh, uh, sad. But, um, you know, it's, it's uh, amazing to me uh, how we often portray these people as the dignified founding fathers yeah. and how in different they were than that. You know, we were talking, uh, uh, Lillian was talking about Washington and what an interesting person he is. And he has this image of being um, sort of a very cool demeanor. Well, it's because he's actually incredibly wound tight and emotional about a lot of things, but he's got it all kept inside. And the times when it comes out, like on the battlefield at the Battle of Monmouth, when when uh, when he started cursing a blue streak, according to Lafayette, uh, or, or other times, really show you the intensity of what's inside. And listen, if school kids could read some of the epithets that these guys used to uh, attack each other, they're, yeah, they're rivals. Which, uh, I cannot even say. Maybe that's why we don't show. learn about it. Maybe they, that's why we don't learn about it because we we're trying to we're trying to perpetuate the myth. Rick, how do people? How would people interested in your new book, how would they find it? Uh, it's called Rivals Unto Death. It's going to be on Amazon. It is already on Amazon where it can be pre-ordered in a bookstore near you. So um, we're going to take the final commercial break of our show. When we come back, we're going to talk to Lillian about her thoughts, what she learned um, about Lincoln, um, and end up and then end our show with some final thoughts. Um, but now we need to hear from our um our sponsor, you're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com. Welcome back to Fed Talk. I'm Deborah Roth. I'm hosting today's show. This is our President's Day edition of Fed Talk. If you're just tuning in, our our guests today um, are Rick Beyer, who is an author and award-winning documentary producer, and he is the author of the greatest presidential stories never told: a hundred tales from history to astonish, bewilder. And stupefy. Um, and we spent a good deal of time catching up with Rick on stories about Washington and Lincoln. If you're just tuning in, um, by tomorrow the show will repost and you can download um, and listen to it um, from the start. We also have with us Lillian Cunningham. She's from the Washington Post. She's the creator and host of Presidential um, 44 podcast in 44 weeks. Lillian, um, earlier in the show, we were talking to you about, um, um, you know, what we would find in the podcast of our first president, which we learned is not our first president, Washington. <laughs> and as I mentioned, the holiday is really Washington's birthday is Lincoln's birthday. I feel like we need to we need to cover the great man um, from your perspective, Abraham Lincoln. 
Yeah, well, I mean, and I'll say that that was the episode I was actually most nervous to do because, I mean, so much has been written about Lincoln and, uh, you know, that moment in our history is so important that it just felt kind of overwhelming to to try to do half an hour of a, a podcast on him. Um, but, you know, what I ended up focusing on there was partly his his childhood and how difficult his childhood was and then also um his love of language and so we were talking a little bit earlier about the Gettysburg address and you know how so many of his speeches have gone down in history um and so i kind of i kind of used that as a way to look into his own, you know, personal interest in language, in theater, in poetry, um, you know, and I'd say the first thing, well, this struck me with Lincoln, but actually with a number of our presidents, it was fascinating to me how difficult their childhoods were there. It's very hard to find a president who didn't have some tough early story. And for Lincoln, you know, he grew up out on the frontier, one-room log cabin. Um, his mother died when he was young. His sister died. His first love died. And he he also estimated that, you know, if you put all of his formal schooling and education together, it would add up to less than a year. So he's really, uh, he was a self-taught, um, very smart person. Um, and he only had, there were only one or two books that he was able to get his hands on when he was young. And one was Aesop's Fables. And the other was a book of um, collected works of Shakespeare. And those, you know, when you look, you look at his, his language and his storytelling and his speeches, you can see how, how some of that sort of early love for storytelling and, and sort of poetic language fused together. Um, his father actually didn't know how to read at all, um, uh, but he was a great storyteller. He was like he was the guy who would tell stories to you know the town and make everyone laugh. And so Lincoln also inherited a lot of just that sort of ear for not you know not just how to write a, a powerful speech, but he he was really adept at knowing how to how to construct something that. Uh, would resonate for a listener. Um, and then, you know, a lot of that, I think, feeds into his legacy. We were talking about how, um, you know, Rick was talking about how the Gettysburg Address, at the time it was given, was not all that well received. Um, but interestingly, you know, part of what, part of what have cemented Lincoln's words and his legacy is the fact that actually his language was pretty simple. It was poetic and beautiful, but um, the words were very accessible. And part of that has to do with his lack of education, hmm. um, but also his sense that, you know, in order to reach people throughout the country of different right. education levels, he shouldn't, um, you know, he shouldn't use complicated big words that some people wouldn't understand. And, you know, if you look back at presidential addresses and writings, you really do see a change when you get to Lincoln, just, you know, as a, a contemporary reader, how well you can understand what he's saying. And so I think that's a huge reason why, you know, uh, school kids today know so many of his speeches, because the language actually feels familiar to us and accessible to us. Now, um, when we talked about, because we do have a few more minutes left, and um, and I think that that's, um, you know, was it Lincoln who chopped down the cherry tree? I, Washington, Washington, but it's debatable whether that really happened, right? But we learned <laughs> we learned these, you know, I don't want to call them silly, but we learned these um, very simplistic anecdotes, yeah. about who they were as you know how they're. What, their, their childhood, you know, and, and as young people um, and what they folk, what we focus on when you learn about them in school is, you know, who they were as presidents. So I think that um, sort of that insight you share with us about his childhood and how it's reflected 
in what today a lot of people think made him a great president was mm. his ability to communicate and um, and the lastingness of the words that he said. I think that is really a very interesting um, um, presentation of information for people um, to sort of hear. And, and they can hear that, right? All of a sudden, oh, you know what I wanted to ask you, tell, have you tell our audience, Lillian, is um, you were really lucky. You got people to narrate. You got some interesting people to narrate your podcast. Tell us about that. Sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, I had, um, I, I was very lucky. You were there, lucky. there are some great historians and biographers who participated. Um, so for the Lincoln episode, uh, you know, one of the featured guests was Doris Kearns Goodwin. Um, for John Adams and our Theodore Roosevelt episode, David McCullough, who's just, uh, you know, a brilliant biographer and a very, very kind, wonderful human being, um, spent a lot of time talking about the presidents who's, who he studied. Um, and then actually, you know, as we moved up in time, there were some interesting opportunities. Like for the Gerald Ford episode, I spoke to Stephen Ford, his son. And that, I think, was for me a very sort of memorable, wonderful moment in the podcast where we got this really different insight into, you know, presidents as people and, and hearing from a son who, you know, saw his father hold that office, kind of what he was going through um, behind the scenes holding that role and, and how it affected him personally. Yeah, I mean, the, the body of what you did in that last year in 2016, not just the collection of information, but the um, sort of the uh, the artistic presentation of it is is really quite impressive. Oh, thanks. Um, and I, and I encourage our listeners to you know pick a president, maybe one of their favorites, maybe one that they um, you're like one to, you don't know anything one about. you don't know anything mm -hmm. about. And and the narration from from some of these um, historians and some of your colleagues at the Post is really quite quite a treat. Um, we do have a few minutes left, Lillian, and I wanted to hit John Quincy Adams. Um, um, because I know there's some, you know, he's he's an important guy, and there was some there's some fun tidbits also um, in your podcast. Yeah, he um, he was one of my favorites, and for a couple reasons. So one, I mean, talking about childhood, he, you know, we opened the episode with this just great and kind of horrible story about how um, when he was really young, his mother wrote him this letter. When he he was on a boat across the Atlantic with his father, and he's ten years old. He's ten years old, and she writes him a letter saying, you know, basically, I really hope that you make something of your life, and uh, if you don't, you might as well. I hope your boat just sinks to the bottom of the ocean because I don't want a son who isn't great and perfect. And so you you think, hmm, <laughs> how could that possibly shape someone's ambition in life? <laughs> His father was president, uh, one of our only, you know, one of our only um, father-son presidential duos. Uh, so expectations were definitely put on him uh, from a very young age that he had to really rise to, rise to his father's uh, stature. And there, and, and and he had some very interesting traits about himself too. He did. I mean, to me, the you know the most interesting one was the fact it, he didn't have any slaves, which was pretty rare at the time, um, especially, you know, among his cohort. And um, and he, as president, was, you know, very anti-slavery, wasn't effective because he was almost too ahead of his time, um, which is a shame. But it's wonderful to look back and see, you know, how strong his principles were. Yeah. And, and it's a foreshadowing to what our, where our country was going to go. I thought it was very interesting. Um, we are reaching the end of our show. Rick, are you still are you still with us? I am. I want to thank you, Rick, for joining us. And for those of you who um, may have tuned in late, it's Rick Beyer. He's the author of The Greatest Presidential Stories Never Told. And um, Lillian Cunningham from The Washington Post, the creator of Presidential Podcast. And I hope our listeners will enjoy the show and um, podcast and Rick's book. Thanks for joining us.